Hello, and welcome back to another episode of After School with Dylan Mack. Today we interview Neil Kleinberg, a chef, writer, and restaurant co-owner. Neil has been classically trained in the French culinary tradition, and while he has worked in various kitchens, he has since moved on to co-owning a restaurant with his partner, Didi, called Clinton Street Baking Company. There, they have been praised for their amazing food, most notably their pancakes. But today, we interview Neil to ask him about his journey into the culinary world, how he succeeds in running a restaurant, how he compliments his partner so well, and everything in between. Hi, Neil. Thank you so much again for being on the podcast today. And I just, you know, my parents don't like when I ask this question, but one, this is a new software recording on, so hopefully this works all okay. But I, okay, my, um, my question for you is, you know, for the audience listening, who are you, man? You know, what's your, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. What's your, you know, what's the deal? What do you do? You know, who you are? Cool. Just- um, Thanks for having me on this, Dylan. Um, you know, my my daughter Jade and I, we're big fans of yours, <laughs> and we're big fans of um you being a Calhouni, and we're big fans of your performance at the show, and I'm happy to do this with you and for you. Um, I'm Neil Kleinberg. I'm I've been a chef for 45 years. Um, I grew up in Brooklyn. I went to culinary school when it was not fashionable. <laughs> I grew up in a family of uh, six um, crazy middle-class Jews in Flatbush, and I always loved food and restaurants and eating and uh, communal dining and all of, you know, like a food a food frenzy in my life growing up. Um, and so um, I'm here to either share insight, um advice for young people that want to go into the career that I chose or that chose me, I should actually say. Yeah. I mean, that's great. However, I also have a signature question for you, Neil, that I ask every guest. So, okay. You know, obviously Jade and I, and like, you know, high schoolers, we're, we're like, I guess we're seniors now, but like, imagine you're a sophomore, junior, right. Maybe a little younger, you know, freshman, Right. It's a two, it's a random night. I like to say Tuesday. So it's a Tuesday night. Okay. You just got back from school. What are you doing? Are you a studious guy? Are you going to finish the homework right away and do something else? Are you going to go like make yourself a nice, I don't know, some eat some food? Are you going to play some sports or are you hanging out? You know, what's the, what's the life? Yeah. The last thing, the last thing I'm going to do when I get home is, is do my homework. <laughs> <laughs> The first thing I'm going to do is like make a snack if I'm starved or think about what we're going to have for dinner um, and hang out with some friends, maybe shoot some hoops, maybe um, hang out with uh, some derelicts from the neighborhood. Um, just do as much as I can to avoid the things that I should be doing, <laughs> like schoolwork or homework. And that was me at your age. And um, did you? Yeah. And I don't think Jade is very far from me, <laughs> except for the fact that she has a very um, uh, disciplined mom and a disciplined teacher in her mom who uh, leads by example 
and who makes me look really like a slacker. <laughs> but uh, also, yeah, so when did you then, you know, because obviously I think you'd agree if you um, if someone asked if cooking was your passion, I think you would say absolutely, correct? Or Dylan, when I was nine, I was making lunch for everyone in my family that was going to school or going to work. Jeez, and nine? six of us. And nine. five siblings? I was, or six? And I knew I wanted to cook. I knew I wanted to bake. I knew I wanted to be in restaurants. I knew, I knew, I knew at like nine or ten years old. Wow. And what I did, I used to line up the bread and line up the sandwiches and make uh, six, everything times six, because it was my mom who worked, my dad who worked, my older sister who was in Hunter College, my brother and my other sister and myself. So oh, I would wow. do three siblings. six sandwiches, six pickles, six bags of chips, six apples, six peaches, whatever. <clears throat> I would times it by six, and then I would organize it, put it in brown paper bags, and put everyone's name on it and throw it in the fridge, either the morning or the night before. And I would make lunch for my whole entire family. Um, that was at like nine and ten. Um, and it went all the way through till high school, you know, and then, um, with someone forgot their sandwich in the fridge, I would be so mad. I would <laughs> curse them and I would say, uh, you know how I, I spent all this time making this amazing lunch and you forgot it. Um, so I was very intense like that at a young age and I was always exploring cooking and baking and wanted to know how things were done. And really didn't know in 1974 what I would do, how I would do it. All I know is that it chose me, you know, and it this career, this path chose me that I knew I wanted to be a chef. And this was way before it was fashionable, way before the Food Network, way before cell phones, like way before anything. And stuff. Yeah, way, way before that. And <clears throat> thanks to a cousin of mine, who was in John Jay College of Criminal Justice, oh, wow. said to me, hey, there's a school across the street, New York Tech for Hotel and Restaurant Management, that has all of these fancy kitchens and bake shops, and they have a culinary program. And if it weren't for him, I was going to graduate high school and really not know what I was doing. Wow. And the minute I found this place, I walked in, I signed up, and I registered for classes for New York Tech for hotel and restaurant management. And that was my foot in the door to getting a culinary education. I mean, that's that's amazing. So, like, sometimes when I interview people and with their jobs, they find it, like, later in life. For example, I had another chef on the podcast. And he, he's, like, a, he had this, like, Korean restaurant. I think it was the first Michelin, whatever, Korean restaurant. But he... Yeah, I saw yeah, that, Yeah, actually. he wanted to be a doctor... And he, he went to like medical school and then he got sick one day and he made food for himself at home and then he fell in love with it. Wow. Seems like you though wow. had it at a young age, this like burning desire. I'm curious though, because yeah. I like to ask everyone, there's there's normally what I've seen here is there's two there's two <coughs> things that happen. Go ahead. Either it's um it's a gradual process, right? You slowly fall in love with it, or sometimes there's like an and then but then there's normally an event that kind of like confirms your love for it. I was wondering if you think that's ever happened to you or do you think it was more 
gradually just kind of like you fell in love with it and then, you know, things just happened? Well, I always worked around food, like as my summer jobs and as um, from 15, I worked in a bagel shop and I was in charge of packing the bagels and um, putting them in a station wagon for the person to deliver them. And my pay, instead of being hourly, I could get as many bagels as I want to take home <laughs> and, a container, and a container of either tuna fish or chicken salad or mm. galleon cream cheese. And that was like kind of my pay. I think I was paid, but I don't even remember. I didn't care. I was working in a bagel bakery and the bagels were amazing. And my parents loved that I got to bring home free bagels. And my next job was, um, what was I doing? I think I was washing dishes in a neighborhood restaurant. Um, I always worked and in and around food. Oh, I was a busboy in the Catskills. Um, for the summers, and I always loved being in the Garmanger station where the cold food was being prepared in these big hotels, and I worked at the Pines and the Homawack and Gibber Hotel, and I was always, even though I was a busboy, I was always in the kitchen watching all the cooks, watching all the chefs, and um, I was fascinated by it. So I was always surrounded myself around food and uh, the business of food and restaurants and cooks. And I was always exploring it. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, it seems like, like you said, at nine years old, see the difference between you and I is I can, I mean, obviously I can't cook nearly as good as you Paul, at all, but I cook sometimes for myself, but I don't cook for my family because I like to eat it all for myself. But it seems like, <laughs> it seems like you were, you were, is that, is that you think, um, the main reason you like cooking for others and seeing their joy when they eat your something you created, or do you think you just had this love for food in general and you just want to share it with everyone? I, I think both. I mean, I think like, uh, like I have like a lot of Jewish mother in me uh, from <laughs> wanting to, or Jewish grandmother in me, even though I didn't really have grandparents growing up. But I think it, I have this love for doing things for people and having people appreciate what I do and my technical skills and my taste and flavors and my style. I always had a style of like, I loved food that wasn't too fussed with and that wasn't too, you know, um, played with. It wasn't too overcomplicated that it was like the food that speaks for itself or right out of the pan cooking. I was always, um, I was always interested in pleasing people and seeing their reaction to my food and saying, wow, this is great. Oh, this sucks. Oh, this is amazing. <laughs> and I experimented a lot at home while I was in culinary school and I had a lot of failures. You know, I remember, you know, making, trying to make rye bread at home and my brother was sleeping in the bedroom next to the kitchen and, uh, I was up to like four in the morning and opened the door and the rye bread wouldn't rise. And it was like two bricks, you know, <laughs> and my brother would say, get the hell out of the kitchen. I want to sleep, you know, and it was just all of that. And I was always experimenting with my family and always making things. And then I had an aunt five blocks away who was kind of like, a really good cook and she would always make Italian things like, you know, chicken cutlets and a gravy on a, on a Sunday with sausages and pork chops and meatballs. And, um, I always kind of watched her, 
and during Passover, she would be making, you know, gefilte fish and matzo ball soup and all of these ethnic things, specialties of our family. And literally, when we got together for the holidays, whether it was Thanksgiving or Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur or breakfast or Passover, there'd be like 25 of us. Wow. Everyone crammed into, uh, you know, whoever's house it was at. And my aunt would be cooking. My mom would be cooking. My um, uncles would be cooking. And everybody would get together. And it was just like a food fest, you know? Seems like, Yeah, it seems like you just really, like, food was a big part of, like, your bonding. and Totally. So, yeah. But actually, to ask you about, like, your quote-unquote failures, right? I know a bunch of kids, one at our, even our own school including myself sometimes, right. right? Let's say you do something, you put like, I bet you put like at least your heart, I mean, 2 a.m. or whatever you said for the rye bread, for example, you felt like you put a lot into it. And then when it gets like something like like that, like rejected, how do you not, like this is more of a mental question, but how do you not take it like personally, right? And instead grow from it? Because I know like, for example, like even me, sometimes if something happens where like, I feel like I put my heart and soul and then it doesn't get the response that I want, I feel like, you know, did, did you know, dejected and I'm like oh maybe this isn't for me and then I start questioning how did you like maintain this like you know this like mindset of like I gotta learn I gotta keep going and like not take it so personally that's a big question but <laughs> um, no no it's it, that's a good question it's actually in my younger days I, I would get like discouraged, you know, if something didn't come out right or if I put a combination of things together that was poor. But with more, the more experience you have, the less of those failures you encounter. Do you know what I mean? It's like the more, the more mistakes you make, the more things you fuck up, the more things you throw in the garbage, the more you cut yourself, the more you, uh, uh, you you know you go shopping and you forget things or you b- buy the wrong ingredients or whatever. The more you do that, the that's your experience. That's your like oh my god moment where like I'll never do that again, and you can move forward from that. Um, I never took it as like a dejection. Like I I always wanted to either master it or say, well, you know what? This is not for me. This is not what I'm meant to cook. This is not what I'm meant to be an expert like in. A mo- this is yeah. not... Positive mindset. <clears throat> you know what? It was almost like a sign, a sign from God that, you know what? My, You know, making puff pastry from scratch is not my thing. <laughs> Those are hard. You know? Huh? But, but butchering was my thing. Like, I would love to butcher, you know, a leg of lamb or a whole, you know, a whole pig and dissect it and, and take it apart and cook all the different parts or I'd be able to fillet fish really well. I mean, those are the things tactical for me that I became really good at with practice and with mentorship and with people around me. And those are the things I gravitated to. So it was like what I liked to do best, what I felt was a sense of accomplishment and the tasks. And it was the repetition that I loved. I mean, yeah, no, so it almost like shaved down like and you found like your your calling, you'd say almost. Yes. Just like but but it's funny because my my career has taken many paths, you know, always in the restaurant business and always in culinary or or pastry or whatever. But 
when I graduated culinary school, I was more into like savory food and high-end French food and like, you know, nouvelle cuisine. And I prided myself of working um, in these French restaurants where I was the poissonnier, I was the entremetier, I was the saucier, I was the sous chef. I kind of became an expert in each one of those stations in the, in the French hierarchy of culinary. You know what I mean? Now it's a little bit different where I always, um, I wanted to master one part of that and then move on. And then later in my career, you know, 25 years later, I had uh, collected a, a, a bunch of recipes from all the famous restaurants that I worked in and I started doing my own baking. And that's when we opened, when I opened Clinton Street Baking Company with recipes that I've accumulated over the years. And I really wasn't a baker or a pastry chef. That wasn't my forte. Um, really? Oh, but wow. I started so it was like a... With, yeah. And I started with, you know, after half of my career in, in savory food and kitchens and butchering and, and plating and expediting and doing all of those things on a hot kitchen... I started, you know, with my muffin recipe and my biscuit recipe and my mm. <laughs> scone recipe and then my pancake batter and my cornbread batter and all of those things that I kind of um, collected through the years. And now, you know, people call me Chef Pancakes or Neil Pancakes or Neil, it's gotta feel good. you know, great, you know, and it feels good, but it's... It, Early on in my career, that's what wasn't who I was, but I've kind of morphed and delved into um, more of like baking and cooking and restaurants and being famous for brunch and breakfast. And I've always been like a great egg cooker. I loved egg cookery. Um, I loved making a hollandaise sauce. I loved making scrambled eggs for the family. I loved turning a French omelet and your family was so lucky <laughs> to have you. <laughs> well, it, if you read our cookbook, Clinton street baking company, we had a cookbook years ago that came out. Yeah. Um, for the restaurant, uh, it's called brunch and beyond. And a lot of those recipes are the things that are my favorite things to cook and make, whether it's a sandwich, an omelet, um, a muffin, a scone. Yeah. I, I, I actually ordered the, the book cause I, I saw it. You did? Yeah. It's cool. It's coming. I'll, I'll send you a photo yeah. though. Um, thanks. Um, you know, I'm very kind of, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of, uh, Didi, my wife and my partner yeah. who wrote the book I was gonna and wrote actually, all the chapters. I was going to ask you Go about ahead. that. Um, so I had another person on the podcast who ran a fertility clinic, which is very different from this, obviously, but he also uh -huh. worked with, um, his wife and like his partner. And I remember, you know, for example, like I, I know a bunch of people where like, I know their parents could not work together, like in unison or whatever. <laughs> and I was wondering like, also that approach, like how did that, you know, like how do you guys manage that? We're like, you know, business, business life versus, versus like personal, you know, more of like a, you know, I don't know. I, I just think it's very impressive to do that. My, my parents were saying like, it's a super impressive thing that they probably couldn't do, you know? So they, um, you know, well, I tell you, it's funny. Things happened uh, to us organically. Didi and I met in a fish and Saw chip that. shop in the West village. Take out. And, um, we were taking out the same thing. We love food. We love uh, people, restaurants, all of that. And when we met, 
<clears throat> I was going to look at Clinton Street to buy it before we were married. And Dee Dee, I said, honey, you want to take a walk over to the East, uh, East Village? And my friend is selling his restaurant. So we went into the place and we weren't married yet. And she said, this is the place? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> she said, I wouldn't do it if I were you. And I said, well, we're not married. I'm doing it. So I bought the restaurant <laughs> with with a partner who turned out to be a dud. And um, about a year into it, I told him that I couldn't work with him anymore. It was either I'm going to buy him out or he's going to buy me out. And Didi said, we had this space on the Lower East Side that I was baking for and starting to cook. And she said, well, why don't I buy him out? And so she bought my partner out and we became partners. Wow. And then we were married. And honestly, without my wife, without Dee Dee, you know, it's hard. Um, but without her, uh, we wouldn't be as successful as we are without her because she's an amazing um, restaurateur, manager, um, uh, media, marketing. She has f impeccable taste. You guys work so she has well impeccable in style. Like you guys compliment you each know, other. And so we were a great compliment, you know, with my food and my recipe and my abilities to cook and run a kitchen and her ability to kind of see how to promote us and how to um, expand us and how to make us better and more, uh, more successful. Yeah. But it's hard. It's not easy. I mean, we live together. We work together. We sleep together. We have a kid together. We have. <laughs> she has stepkids of mine and step grandkids of mine, and it's you know it's a lot of juggling and a lot of balancing. Of but I give her a lot of credit for our success. Um, and I couldn't have done it without her, and she couldn't have done it without me, which is a, a great kind of Poetic, way for to exist. You know. Yeah, I know. I remember she came into uh, one of our classes, digital marketing, and her Instagram had like, I I forgot the exact amount, but it was like at least a hundred thousand less than what it has now. And it's so great. It's yeah. grown so much in even a year. And she's like, I'm trying to grow this out, and boom, it's happened. And I'm, I'm like, I checked it <laughs> she's recently. She's about to hit. She's about to hit two hundred thousand. No, it's actually amazing. You know, I follow it, so I'm one of those people. But um, yeah, yeah, me too. I follow it too, <laughs> and I'm the chef. <laughs> but I was gonna also ask you then. You know, you are, you are also a, um, a leader, you know, you, you own this. And I was, I'm curious why you decided to take the approach of maybe doing like, I don't know what the word is like, maybe like, yeah, your own thing, you know, your own, start your own thing versus joining like a bigger, maybe like really fancy place, you know, like that's really big and be a chef there and just work there. And why'd you want to instead start your own little, you know? It's not little at all. Now well, it's like, you know, four locations. But you get what I'm saying. Like <laughs> at the time, yeah. take your take the risk to just start your own little thing versus join some bigger, you know, maybe safer, I guess. Yeah. Well, the, Dylan, it's funny you ask that because I've – if I had to advise young people of what to do, I would say go work for other people. Go make mistakes for others. Go get experience for others. It's very hard to start your own business without the experience under your belt, without the failures, without the successes, without the notoriety, without the paycheck, without go and work for others because without working for others, you don't gain that experience and that day-to-day -day of what it's like 
to own a business, to run a business, to be responsible for There's a business, so to be responsible for others. So, you know, I was the sous chef at the Water Club. I was the banquet chef at Bridgewater's. I was the chef de cuisine at the Plaza Hotel. I was had my own restaurant at 23. Um, I had another restaurant that I was partners at 32. I had um, multiple, multiple jobs in restaurants. I've gotten fired from jobs. I've quit jobs. I've walked out screaming with my boss. <laughs> One day, and he, he, you know, he fired me. I worked for a woman chef who was crazy. And in the middle of a Saturday night, I said, I'm out of here. I can't work with you or for you. Um, but I've also worked with people for the last 25 years, the same people, because we work together and we respect each other. And they love working with me and I love working with them. And they treat the business and our business like it's their own. Um, so I would suggest and, and, and implore people, if you're in culinary school, if you're in a baking program, if you're in the restaurant business, whatever, go work for others. So make those mistakes there. So then you're perfect when you start your own. Yeah. And also gain the experience. And along that line, you'll probably wind up working for someone that you love <laughs> or that you admire or that you aspire to be like, um, <clears throat> My mentor was Guy Pouche. He was a French. He's still uh, alive, and he's an amazing guy. He's 80-something years old. He lives in Florida. He's retired. But he was my mentor at the Water Club, and he was a fantastic chef. And old-school French taught me so many things. He took me under his wing um, he showed me so many things, how to run a kitchen, how to operate a kitchen, how to work a station, how to check if, you know, a steak was medium rare, how to make a bouillabaisse. He would like teach me everything that he knew. And I was so indebted to him for so many years, for like four years, I worked for him. Um, and when you work for other people, you, you'll find someone like that that you admire and respect so much that you want to be like them. Yeah. I mean that there's so, I just, there's so much that you have to juggle, I guess, as a, as a chef and business owner as well. I, I'd like to ask you, um, you know, as a kid, you seem like you'd say you were an extroverted social kid at, um, I was, yeah, I was a chubby, chubby little extroverted, <laughs> Jewish kid who uh, loved sports. I loved food. I loved uh, horse racing. I loved baseball. I loved basketball. I loved playing. I loved competing. I loved uh, being a spectator. I loved uh, family, cousins, uh, all of that stuff I loved, but I was a bad student. <laughs> I mean... I was really bad, Dylan. I was so bad that I could barely get out of high school. I mean, and, there you go. And when I got and when I got to culinary school, when I graduated to high school by the skin of my teeth, literally with like a 66 average. And I got into culinary school my first semester. For the next 6 semesters I w I ran a 40. I never got less than an A in my college. God, well, there you go. I mean, clearly something you love more than the other one. 
You probably were enjoying yourself yeah. more in that class than the math class. Yes. Yeah, I took. I had to take statistics. Oh, you did. Oh, wow. Restaurant law, restaurant accounting, operations managing. I had to take all these other courses besides culinary and pastry and advanced pastry and advanced culinary and restaurant management courses. I had to do the. I had to take psychology. I had to take English. I had to take the elect the electives, but I was in culinary school. So all of that other stuff came easy to me. It was just fun. No, yeah. I was going to ask you, though, as well, as um, you said, business owner, worked with a lot of people. It seems like you're already a social kid. But how did you, like, really gain, like, the most efficient, you know, communication skills? Because obviously you're doing a lot of communicating, right, with different people and, like, you know, what you want. And you have to also listen to what they want, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think, like, your skills got better over time at, like, communicating and, like, negotiating etc cetera, etc cetera, or do you think it was like always kind of there and you know you always had it or well in the early days yes i was a very verbal and i was a very social kid but in the early days of my cooking career i had some advice keep your head down keep your mouth shut keep keep to the task if I had to peel, you know, 150 pounds of potatoes, get through it, do it, do it well, clean up after yourself, make it look good, impress the chef, make sure your work um, was proven by what you produced, not what, what you said. There's a lot of people that talk a good game that can't back it up. <laughs> and backing it up is the key in cooking, in baking. You know, getting your mise en place down, doing the prep work, cleaning your station, um, cleaning as you go, organizing yourself, making lists, challenging yourself to tasks that you're not as good as other things. In the very beginning, there were a few things that I never really mastered and wasn't really good at. And I wanted to ex excel at those things, whether it be shucking clams or opening oysters or filleting fish or making a souffle. I always wanted to challenge myself and get good at those things that I wasn't that good at. So I had to keep my head down, my mouth shut, and, and manage those tasks and become an expert in them. And those, those things take years. Absolutely. I mean, flying a fish looks it, or so months, possible. Months of doing one job. Months of doing one job and doing them right. You know, fine mincing shallots making a, a bouquet garni, um, seasoning things correctly, you know, how to use salt and pepper, how to use herbs and spices, when to put certain things in a sauce, when not to, um, how to make a perfect chicken stock. All of those things, each individual things, it's like a symphony. If you know how to do one of those things really well, and then you add another thing really well, and then another thing really well, and then the last thing really well, you put it all together and you're making like a beautiful soup mm -hmm. or you're making beautiful music or you're making something. But the individual components of mastering them are as important as the final product. Yeah, I mean, there just seems like there's so much. Like, for example, how do you, how do you, like, what do you think makes it, like, what's the differences between a chef who, like, just follows the recipe book by book versus someone who like follows the recipe, but also like puts their, their heart into it. If that makes sense. You know, like 
or that, no, I, I hear what you're saying. Well, <clears throat> the first thing is, is mastering the recipe. The first thing is knowing how to make it. The first thing is a technique. And with all of that experience behind you, then you can become creative. Then you could say, wow, you know, I think this could, would go really well with that. I think this combination works really good. What happens if I omit this and add this? Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But you need the foundation of knowing how to do the classics well before you can start imparting your own style and your own spin into it. So you have to now, practice first. I'll give, Play later. Exactly. I'll give you an example. We have a dish on the menu that's our potato pancakes with applesauce and sour cream, right? Oh, that's so good. <laughs> okay. So number one, the technique is the most important, how to make the potato pancake mix, right? But my spin on it is, and Dee Dee likes to say this, my wife, my partner, she likes to say, Neil likes to cook classically with a twist. Ooh, I like, that's, that's nice. So I'll make my potato pancakes very classically and I'll fry them beautifully and they'll be crisp and moist in the middle and sour cream. I'll just get some really good sour cream and put it in the ramekin. But the key to our potato pancakes is my applesauce. I make it from scratch and it's caramelized applesauce, uh. which means when we cook the apples with the sugar and vanilla and lemon and, and, um, and a little bit of uh, salt, when we cook it, we cook it down the apples until it caramelizes and gets brown with the sugar and the apples. And that applesauce is so delicious and that it, it puts the potato pancakes up a level where most people are using Mott's jarred applesauce. <laughs> yeah, that's what I used when I... Shitty, yeah, well, it's that shitty you know, pale colored applesauce <laughs> with just the flavor of apples, but no nuance. You know what I mean? So yours has like a special quality that will bring people to come back. It'll make them come back. Correct. Correct. Another, another item that, that sets us apart and kind of, I take a lot of pride in is <clears throat> I take pride in making sure that we can make everything in house from scratch and anything we can't make in-house, we'll buy the best possible ingredients. So, you know how places have smoked salmon on their menu? And they're all bought smoked salmon sides pre-sliced from Zabar's or from this place yeah, or yeah. from that place. But I said to myself, I can make the best smoked salmon in the world. I'm making it from scratch. So we get fresh salmon in. We cure it. We rinse it. We marinate it for four days and then we smoke it in-house in our own smoker. And when you taste the difference, but our house-made smoked salmon versus locks from a Jewish deli or, or smoked Store salmon bought, from yeah, Zabar, you can see and taste and feel the difference. And when people experience that, they say, wow, this guy's not a genius, but this guy is pretty good that they make their own smoked salmon. They make their own applesauce. You don't they cut make corners. You, you go the extra jam. mile. Go the extra mile. <clears throat> right. Extra mile with a twist. And, you know, that's what we're known for is our food is not only delicious and accessible, but it's also 
very high quality. In other words, we're making everything from scratch and everything is fresh. I mean, no, I that's 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 like the key. That's the key to to rising above, huh? Yeah, I think that's the key is taking that the next step up. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, can you actually describe uh you're like, you know, obviously not go too into don't reveal all your secrets, but like <laughs> the creative process of like how like like when you're like, I want to add something to the menu, what, what's your process? And also, it's almost like it's like a writer almost, right? Like they sometimes go through like writer's block. Do you ever have like that, a block sometimes? And like, of course. And then how do you, how do you deal with that, right? Like how do you? I go back, Dylan, I go back to basics. I say, you know what? I can't be creative every single day <laughs> in my life. I'm 65 years old. How much more creativity is in no, me? No, you got you know? a lot more. I mean, look. Well, the thing is, no, the thing is in, in cooking and restaurants and baking, they, everyone is always reinventing themselves, you know? Everything is always coming back full circle. What was hot in the 80s was bad in the 90s. What was hot in the 90s is bad. What's bad? Cop- What's coming back in 2023 was hot in 1950. Do you know what I'm saying? Trends are always going up and down. <clears throat> Trends are always up and down. But what I think is that when I lose my creativity or when I'm feeling whatever, how am I going to do this again? Been there. I always go back to basics. I always say, let me go back to the kitchen and make an omelet. Let me show my chef or my guys or my pastry chef how to make the perfect pie, how to roll out the dough the right way, how to not have so much waste, how to, um, you know, when we're making our breads and stuff, um, how to proof it the right way, how to shape it the right way. I'm always coming back to basics, back to my core. And when I go back into the kitchen and I'm doing regular pedestrian run-of-the-mill day-to-day stuff, whether it's frying potatoes, whether it's cutting French fries, whether it's whatever, it always comes back. Um, Eventually, eventually it's there. So, yeah. So when when I'm feeling like, um, you know, a loss of creativity or a loss of inspiration, I'll always just say, you know, Neil, go back into the kitchen, make something simple, go read a cookbook, uh, go watch a baseball game, go do, you know, uh, um, grill up a hot dog. You know what I Mm. mean? Do something (laughs) really simple and basic and get back to basics so that I can go and be inspired again. So you just like you take it slow and you're patient with yourself versus like yeah. you're know, like, oh my god, I can't think of anything. <laughs> like, I probably do that too. Exactly. Like, even when I write like a history essay, like, oh like I don't know. <laughs> and then I like whine, you know, but um And then it comes to you after a while, after you I mean stop eventually I, I wrote the paper, right? So like, <laughs> it did. Yep. There you go. Exactly. You're right. I need to be eventually patient. I need to be patient. But I'm also I know, honestly. Now, patience is a big thing. You really have to need patience. I mean, you need to, patience to make bread. To patience peel 150 to potatoes. Oh, my God. You need to. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I still do that today. You know, to this day, I still sometimes when I'm 
feeling anxious or whatever, I'll go into the kitchen and I'll do a menial task for an hour. I'll squeeze oranges and make orange juice for an hour and just squeeze the oranges. I'll crack eggs. I'll peel potatoes. I'll do something for an hour to get back to my base and to get back to my self so I don't start thinking about all the crazy shit that I'm either missing or lacking or feel frustrated about. I'll always come back. I mean, Neil, and do some basic stuff. I'll tell you, you seem and like super down to earth yourself. And uh, I'm actually curious, you know, because I feel like I see sometimes people like you, obviously, very successful um, business restaurants that you have. How do you not, like, as a leader, as a leader, how do you not let this get like to your head and instead like maintain like that grounded, you know, so you can still work with you know, your other workers that are working for you instead of work like with them. If that makes sense, that might be like a confusing question, but like not instead. No, like, no, it does yeah. make sense. Don't like, yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Instead of thinking like you're above them, which of course I know you don't, <coughs> but some leaders do, right? And then it always kind of like falls apart eventually. How do you like, you know, what would you tell people to, like how on how to maintain like a grounded approach to everything? Well, you know, it's funny, Dylan, that's a good question. There's a lot of ego in there, you know? Mm-hmm. Ego is, um, there's a saying that ego is easing God out, where, um, you know, you think you're so good yourself, or you think you're so, no one can touch you, or you think you're like the bit, the shit, you know? <laughs> yeah. But when I think like that, or when I make something, or when I, we cater a party and it comes out unbelievably, um, well, and we get applause or we get, you know, I find the best response for stuff like that is just to say, thank you. Wow. I really appreciate you loving that. Um, thank you. Humbleness. Um, I won't like, I won't say, oh, we worked really hard for that. <laughs> yeah, oh, boy, that's you us. Know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't, you can't do that shit the way I do, you know? And if I couldn't, I always, but, you know. <laughs> I have this little joke in the kitchen. A lot of times I'll come into work in the morning and I'll make my own breakfast. I don't, the guys are busy on the line, right? And they're working for putting to-go orders together and they're working for stuff in the restaurant and everyone's crossing paths and I'll come in. And I'll make my own breakfast, whether it's an omelet, whether it's a veggie sandwich, whether it's a ham and cheese on a baguette, whatever it is, I'll make it myself. And the guys will see me and the girls will see me, you know, making my own thing. And I'll put it on a plate and I'll bring it out to the dining room to eat it myself. And they'll see what I made and they'll say, wow, chef, that looks good. Can you make me one? And ba ba ba. And and I'll say, okay, I'll make you one after, but I'll get through this rush right now. And then after I eat it, I'll bring it into the kitchen and I'll bust the plate myself and I'll rinse the plate and I'll put the silverware in the in the soapy water and I'll say out loud, Thank you, Neil. That was delicious. <laughs> and they'll all laugh because Basically, what I'm doing is I'm thanking them. I'm thanking myself for making myself something delicious. And I'll use it as a joke. Wow. Thank you, guys. That was amazing. Thank you, Neil. That was so delicious. I couldn't have done it better myself. (laughs) And they always get a real kick out of that. 
Um, another thing to take like all that ego out is I always cook for my staff. I always make amazing lunches for them at least once a week. I'll go in there and I'll make turkey club sandwiches or I'll make a croque monsieur or I'll do um, a big pot of lo mein or fried rice or some Asian thing that I've know that I've done years ago. And they're like, wow, chef, I didn't know you could cook Chinese. And I'll say, guys, the shit I forgot about this business, you'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll laugh. Like there's so many things that I've done and so many uh, cuisines I've cooked and so many people I've worked with and for that I forgot half the stuff. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and it's still there. It's I'll still there. It's yeah. still there. And I don't know how it comes up, but sometimes it comes up. But I'm never. it's never ego-driven. It's more of like I wanted to cook for my staff. I wanted to let the guys know that I still got it. I want to let them know that I could still, still got expedite it. Yeah. food. You know, I, I could still do it, but of course I put all the trust in them to do it because they're better than me now. They're in their twenties and thirties the and I'm 65 and they are flying and they are moving and they are, you know, but you're never too young and you're never too old to learn in the kitchen. You know, yeah. um, I'm always revisiting dishes that we do well, that I want to do even better. The drive to I'll give you an, Yeah, I'll give you an example. We have an item on our menu called the Spanish scramble, which I kind of invented. It's scrambled eggs with the addition of chopped tomatoes, scallions, caramelized onions, chorizo, and Monterey Jack cheese uh, melted on the top. And it's like kind of like our open-faced scramble omelet. And I realized over the years that it's getting a little inconsistent and it's looking a little eh and I wasn't happy with it. So just a few months ago, I went back to the kitchen with my chef Juan and Adriano and Christian and a couple of other guys. And I'm like, let's improve this. Let's make this better. Let's make this more consistent. So we made a few tweaks on the dish, very subtle tweaks. Instead of adding the chorizo to the scramble, We'll sprinkle the chorizo on top and broil it with the cheese so people can actually see the chorizo mm. instead of it getting buried in the yeah, yeah, yeah. in the scramble. Now, something like that, people will say, oh, whatever, chef, you know, you can do this, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but revisiting things and improving things, even though people love them and they're great and whatever, is always a key in like putting you your stay ahead. hand on stay up. Stay ahead and keeping putting your hand on someone's shoulder and saying, hey, let me show you this. Hey, let's redo this. Hey, let's revisit this. And saying, wow, what do you think? And they'll say, oh, it's much better, chef. Oh, my God, I can't believe it. Something that simple. And so those are the kind of things I take pride on, which takes the ego away from me thinking I'm so great. You know what yeah. I mean? I actually, that's, that's a great response. I actually had another question off of that then. Um, and not just, I'm asking you this, not just as like a chef and a restaurant owner and a, what I'm also asking you is like, you know, this is for this, I guess I think this question can translate to any like leader or, you know, boss or whatever, but like, how do you balance, I guess your strong, you know, obviously you probably yourself have a strong vision, you know, and leadership for what you yep. want to do. But how do you also, as mm -hmm. you said, like you worked with your other, you know, coworkers, how are you open to like collaboration ideas from others while balancing your strong vision and like 
being open to both, basically. To- um, I used to get that a lot more from employees or chefs or cooks where they wanted to like either add something to a menu or change or tweak. And I'm open to it. And I say, you know what? That's a really good idea. Except it doesn't really fit with our concept and our menu. Or that's a really good idea. Let me talk to Didi about it and see, maybe we'll put it on as a special. And they'll be okay. Um, Or Juan, our chef, will be like, chef, we're getting an amazing price on softshell crabs or we're getting uh, unbelievable peaches this time of year. And I'll say, okay, Juan, let's do this. Um, Remember that peach waffle we did, you know, 10 years ago in the summer of, you know, 2012? (laughs) They'll say, yeah. I said, well, pull up a picture of it and let's recreate it. And so he'll inspire me and say, hey, remember we did this? Hey, remember we did that? And I'll be like, yes. And then I'll present it to Didi and say, hon, do you want to do this? This would be really good. And she'll say, you know what? It's not the right season. Let's wait until the fall. Or let's wait until November when apples are really unbelievable. So it's a collaboration like that where I'm never never putting anyone down for their ideas, but hearing them, listening to them, and then saying, you know what? Maybe that'll inspire me. Maybe yeah. it'll jog my memory to come up with something that was amazing. It's like a, it's like a help me help you situation. Yeah. yeah. Also, we have a very big influence of, of um, Mexican um, food on our menus because our chef Juan, he's Mexican, and a couple of our sous chefs and pastry chefs are Mexican. And Juan has come up with some amazing technique and amazing ideas for some of our dishes. Our huevos rancheros, our Mexican Benedict, our tamale Benedict, our homemade salsa, our our hot sauce, our jalapeno sour cream. Making me hungry. You know, we we went to Mexico, Didi and Jade and I, on a vacation a few years ago, and we came upon this dish called huevos divorciado, which was like divorce. It was a funny name, right? It was called divorce. Divorced eggs. (laughs) And what it was, was two different styles of eggs on a tortilla on the same plate. Half of it was a red sauce with eggs and cilantro and and grated uh, queso fresco. And the other half was black beans and eggs and a beautiful salsa. So it was a red and green dish. And they called it huevos divorciado because... It looked like a divorced couple, two different people <laughs> yeah, on the same plane. So we uh, we kind of renamed it, I think, and then um, we used it as a special, and it was absolutely brilliant and beautiful. Um, so those kind of things are very inspiring. Yeah, just like a writer or artist, get- you're like taking inspiration from the things around you that you just like because you probably yeah. weren't like actively looking for that type of dish. It just like fell upon you, and you're like, oh wow, this is amazing. Is- well, we loved that dish so much at the resort that we were staying in. It was on Holbosch Island in Mexico, which is a very funky, cool island. And when we came back, I went right into the kitchen with Juan and I said, Juan, let's recreate this dish. This is unbelievable. And he would say, oh, chef, my grandfather made that 100 years ago. <laughs> I'm like, good. So, you know, everything comes back full circle. 
That, no, that's great. Uh, it also seems though, like you, like you know, you you you're on first name basis, whatever, and everything, and everyone's laughing. How I, I wanted to ask you, how important do you think it is to have a like a positive? Because obviously, it seems you've cultivated this positive, motivating atmosphere. How important is that to a success? You think of like a team in general and like a restaurant. Versus, like, I've seen some restaurant, you know, where it seems very like strict and very like quiet and you know not friendly. I guess is the word. So, how important do you think, do you think it is to to be, you know? Well, I think it's essential in in every aspect of a restaurant. From the minute you go go in to, with a host saying, "I'd like a table for two, to the busboy can you refill my water to a waiter who's is telling you the specials to a food runner who's bringing the food to the table to the manager to the uh music to the atmosphere to the to the place it's all um it's all contagious it's all contagious it's my attitude trickling down to my manager to my prep cook, to my busboy, to our host, to our um, chef, to our pancake station lady, to our orange juice squeezer, to everyone. If they enjoy what they do and they have fun doing it and they're not looking at the clock, because in the restaurant you don't look at the clock. You will get in at 8 in the morning, you look up and it's, oh my God, it's 4 o'clock, I got to get out of here. It's so fast and it's so high pressure and it's so high You know, speed. times you be like, oh, what time is it? There's no time for shit. Sometimes you're like, oh my God, I can't, I don't even have time to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so that's a contagious atmosphere and people feel it. And when you go into a place that's prissy or gives you attitude or the waiter's a dick or someone, you know, the server uh, doesn't know what they're talking about or they don't have their hair pulled back and they're slovenly or something like that. It's all a reflection of the attitude from the owners to the chefs, to the manager. It's like a family. It's a family. And one- yeah. And, also, we also have a philosophy in the restaurant where what's best for the business, what's best for the restaurant, not what's best for Neil or what's best for Didi or what's best for Juan. It's what is best for the restaurant. And when we think like that, people start to think like that. Our employees, whether it's our porter cleaning the front or cleaning the ceiling fans or whether it's our overnight guy scrubbing down the, you know, the stove or the fryers, whether it's um, someone, you know, chopping scallions and tomatoes for the Spanish scramble. It doesn't matter. It's what's best for the restaurant. Is it best to make too much of that so we're throwing half in the garbage or is it best to make just enough? That if we need more, we can always chop some more in a minute. So we are always ask that question of ourselves. Yeah, I mean, no. So it's like it's like you guys all have the same objective, which makes it easy versus like right, you know, and yeah. it also makes it fun. Yeah. you know. Uh, you know, this has been great, Neil. So great. One more question for you before this. Go ahead. So I like to just ask this question. You know, in general. Let's say you're in a room full of kids like me, you know, or whatever, younger or older, and they're like, Neil, you know, look at you. You found your passion or whatever. Like, like we haven't found ours. 
like we're worried you know like we're not gonna i guess make it in life like what what would you how would you comfort them and i know it's a weird obscure and like <laughs> abstract question but what would you tell them no it's really good. I mean, Dylan, I totally relate to that question because I have a daughter, Jade, who's your age. Yeah, there's and, a pressure you know, to find your passion at a very young age. Yeah. A lot of kids. And, like, you know, yeah. we're we're all so different. I was very lucky. to the, the passion and my career and my work found me. I didn't really find it. I was very lucky. Some people find it late. Some people find it early. Some people know from the minute they're born that they're going to be an actor. Some people know from uh, whatever that they're amazing at science they are going to be a scientist or a doctor. Some people know it's in them and they whatever. Other people, um, it comes to later. Other people, um, you know, sometimes I say, uh, what am I going to do for my second act? What am I going to do for my second career? I don't know, but I tell Didi sometimes, this is the only thing I know, how to cook, how to bake, how to eat, how to make people feel good with food. And <clears throat> I'd say, do the things that make you happy. Do the things that give you satisfaction. Fuck the rest. Fuck it all. Seriously, the pressure from parents and grades and school and uh, what am I going to do? How am I going to support myself? You know what? If you haven't figured it out yet, just take baby steps. Go get a job as a, you know, as a barista. Basics, like you go, said. Go get a job as a server. Go get a job as a usher. Go get a job doing something. It'll come to you or you'll come to it or you'll figure it out or it'll happen or it won't. And if it doesn't, something else will happen. Um, so I say, even to Jade, my own daughter, it's like, Jade is so good at so many things. She's good at baking. She's good at cooking. She's good at singing. She's good at acting. She's good at being a pain in the ass. She's good <laughs> at a, as being a student. She's good at having a smart mouth. She has a great, uh, she's great at a lot of things, but I just tell her, Jade, just do what makes you happy. Do what makes you satisfied. Do what makes you feel good inside. And try to take that and, and pass it on to others, you know? Mm -hmm. no. <clears throat> so, Dylan, the answer is, I don't have an answer. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess no one really knows, right? It's like, you can't. No, no one knows what life takes. But, uh, Neil, no. thank you again so much for being on the podcast. This has been great. I know I took a lot of your time, but... This is uh, my pleasure. I hope, yeah, I hope the restaurant's still up without you. No, I'm kidding, but. <laughs> nah, it's fine. Don't worry. Uh, I got plenty of good people around me. I got to go. I got to go. I got to go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come. I'm, right. I'm going to come. But thank you, Neil, again, so much for doing this. It means so much to me. And, you know, thank Jade again as um, well for asking. It's my pleasure.